This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to summerschoolelectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. Ladies and gentlemen, 40 Waters, welcome to episode 47 of the 40 Watt Podcast. Y'all, I cannot believe that I am telling you welcome to episode 47. I don't feel like that I should be at this point, but uh, here we are coming close to the end of season one. Um, a couple of things, we're going to handle housekeeping here in the beginning. Uh, as usual, remember to go to the website, 40wattpodcast.com, where I am woefully behind in getting the show notes up there, but I'm going to get caught up sometime soon. Uh, they are the same show notes that show up in your podcast player or on YouTube, so you can read them there. But uh, if you go over to the, the website, you can also find all the links for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, reverb affiliate link if you want to click that and help me get a little kickback to keep this episode this podcast going uh, feel free to go over there um, you'll also find uh, the link for our patreon which is patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast where you can help keep this show going there are multiple tiers multiple options there are perks for all of them but at our five dollar and up tiers Every week you get an extra episode of content uh, with our guests or sometimes with it's been a couple of times with just someone else. And we'll talk about all sorts of random things. Uh, those episodes always get a little fun, get a little wacky. Um, and at, here at the end of the year, we're approaching the end. Um, I'm going to total up all the proceeds from Patreon and 25% of that is going to go to St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and I'm still looking for charities for next year. So if you have something that you feel really strongly about, um, St. Jude is one that I feel very, very strongly about. So I give to them every year. So this is a way for me to give even more to them. But if you have one that you think I should look into, especially music-related uh, charities, I'm open to all possibilities for Season 2 as we roll into 2022. All right. So having said all of that, I'm really excited for this episode because... I'm going to admit, um, as we're doing this, um, I had not heard my guest this week before until um, we started looking into this. And then I started really being really upset that I had not heard Brandy Zidane. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a nice to be here, man. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to make this work. Um, so, Brandy, I, I, I have worked to try to be that person who does research into his guests and learns a little more about mm. them. And in that, I have listened to a lot of your music over the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Oh, and my gosh. I'm very upset that I was not familiar with your work at this. And I'm being very honest. Um, I am one of those guys who I know that I do this thing where I end up in this box where I listen to the same, like, mm -hmm. 10, 15 artists over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um. And I have to sort of be kicked a little bit sometimes. And uh, we're going to talk about, so you have a new album that just came out here in the last uh, little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I, I should have an exact date in my head, but I don't. But um, That's okay. It was October 29th. Yes. There we yeah. go. Just before Halloween. Excellent. Right. Uh, October is a wonderful month. It's my favorite month of the year. Um, we're out of it now, but I'm going to pretend it's still October. It's fine. Um, so Falcon came out and... I, I was listening through this album, and I, so I was reading one of your 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 bios, and and then we're going to get into your story, how you got into doing this. But Falcon came out, and I listened to it, and 
talked about some of the the artists you've been compared to, like Joan Jett or Quattro, or and I was like, I I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, Nico Case, and I'm a huge fan of uh, Lucinda Williams, and and I'm hearing a lot of that as well. It's like I hear there's this really rawness to your music that I really appreciate. But we're gonna get there. So give my listeners the the thirty thousand foot view who you are, how you got into doing what you're doing, how you got into playing guitar, because that's the other thing. You're, you're, you're not just a songwriter and a singer. You're an honest-to-God freaking guitar player, and, and <laughs> there's a lot of great guitar sounds on this album. So how Thank you. Get you. It? It's a guitar record, too. It's yeah. funny. Oh. It's like it's an unassuming guitar record, and we'll, we'll talk about that, and I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> um, but yes... For those of you who are not familiar with my work, which is probably most of you listening, um, this has been something that I've been doing my whole life. And I come from Canada, born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, spent my formative years there in, gosh, started playing songs when I was, you know, 10, singing my whole life, started writing songs around that age played out for the first time at a coffee shop somewhere in the north end of Winnipeg <laughs> when I was 15. Um, realized that that was kind of what I was going to do. Um, I was also, you know, studying classical voice. I was doing all of the things. Um, and then I was in a band called Twilight Hotel, which was sort of an Americana dark folk band before Americana was a thing. This was a while ago. This was right. like 15 years ago. Um and we toured all around. It was great. It was a really cool thing. I discovered guitar in that band um, when I was... I had been playing guitar as a teenager and using it as, you know, an accompanying instrument for my songs that I was playing, you know. But I was listening to people like Neil Young and specifically Joni Mitchell and hearing how one can can accompany their songs in a different light, not just strum, 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 here we are, but let's play something interesting as well. And that kind of got me into guitar. But then when I was in the band Twilight Hotel, I kind of got my first electric guitar. I must have been 19 or 20, and it was a German Hegstrom uh, which then was also a 62 Harmony Rocket that soon came after that I still have and play to this day. And I just remember when I played electric guitar for the first time thinking, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing <laughs> that I've been waiting for. Like Here is this instrument that is all about subtlety and expression. And that is what really drew me to it it you know with with acoustic guitar I just could never get out of it what I wanted I wanted to be able to play really loud and and do the thing and play rock and roll but then I also wanted to express and and have this like long sustained notes and just all those things that you can do with electric guitar and how you can add all the wondrous effects it just was so instant for me and then that band, uh, we we immigrated to the States, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, came down to the States where we were getting lots of love and playing shows, and it just felt like a natural move. And then all of a sudden, the band broke up as soon as we moved. Oh, wow. Still toured around for a little bit, um, released another record. I think we re- released like four records in that band. Really, I'm really proud of that work. The band was called Twilight Hotel. It was very guitar heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, really where I started playing lead and, and really dug into some interesting worlds. A lot of steel, um, lap steel guitar on there as well that I was doing. And then I kind of ended up really just, gosh, out of necessity became a hired gun guitarist in Texas. I was in Texas on a musician visa. That's how I was in the States for almost a decade. And, I had to make a living playing music and here I could play guitar for people. Yeah. Well, I didn't really know at the time if I could. I knew I could, but <laughs> I was taking the leap. You know, this there was a band called the Trishas. They asked me to join. They needed a lead player, sort of a utility player. I was playing accordion as well. 
lap steel. And then, uh, I had two lap steels on this, on this keyboard stand. It was awesome. <laughs> and then guitar. Um, and that was an interesting time because I was coming out of a band where my whole identity was wrapped around being in a duo. So I needed some time to figure out what I was going to do on my own. And that was the perfect opportunity to sort of sit in the back of the van and just plot. <laughs> like, what do I, cause you know, if, if you're not sure, I, I don't love going into things without a vision and I needed to develop some sort of vision to go into my solo project and what I wanted it to be, what I wanted it to say, it wasn't going to be folky Americana stuff that I had once done in my old bands or even as folky as I was when I was, you know, a 19 year old. So I needed some time to figure it out. And um, natural progression from there, moving to Nashville and um, kind of starting to become a behind the scenes woman as well uh, with producing records and doing some engineering as well and session guitar work, backup vocal work, all of the things. So it's, um, I've diversified, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I... You're you're into guitar. You're playing guitar, and you're right. The electric guitar, it's one of those things where there are some players out there who play acoustic guitar, and they can be as as expressive as anyone, and it's incredible. I'm not that person. For me, acoustic guitar is a rhythm. It's a bass. It's a you know what I mean. Electric guitar suddenly you have it's a texture instrument as much as it is yeah. anything else. And actually, it was an texture, old guitar colors. player. Yeah. And it was actually a, a guitar player who's a, a great friend of mine who I've had on the podcast early in the season, uh, Walt. Walt Busby. Walt's big into – I always said he plays guitar like a keyboard player, like a piano player. He layers mm-hmm. and his texture and it's – he's not flashy. He's not you know the, the ripping guitar. So although he can do that, he's very into the color and how it in, uh, influences the mood of a song. And he's so sure. good at it. It's so expressive. That's, yeah, it really is that type of instrument. I I also, I, man, I just got so bored playing acoustic. Even to this <laughs> day, if someone asks me to do something stripped down, you will never, you, you'll be hard pressed to see me with an acoustic guitar in my hands. <laughs> I just don't care about it. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't like, it doesn't fire me up inside or, you know. I also like same with, you know, steel guitar for me is like this direct extension of my singing voice where you can just make all these soundscapes and yeah, I just, I just love, love the damn thing. <laughs> yeah. I try to get into steel guitar. It is not my instrument. I think it's beautiful. I, for me, it was like, I'm going to stick with the six that I'm good at and play <laughs> these. Um, so you, you move, you move to the States, you move to what I think of as the Americana capital of, of the U S you move to Austin, Texas, you're, you're in Twilight hotel. Uh, you, you move to Nashville, which is sort of, it's the, the landscape of music in America is interesting. It's like all of, all of my favorite music comes out of those two places. I realize there's LA and New York and Seattle and all that, but, um, and apparently there's a Florida thing that we don't talk about. We just pretend it's not happening. Um, but so you go from, you know, playing times change in Winnipeg to uh, mm, nice. to going on the road with Will, Will Hogue and uh, buddy guy Doyle Bramhall. Um, that's that's a that's a big jump. That's a big leap. And and that's maybe what surprised me the most when I realized I wasn't familiar with music. It isn't like you haven't been out there you know, on the road making great music. And it just, it, it solidifies to me how big the music world and how many artists are out there doing this. But so you get out on the road, you move to Nashville, you're doing your own thing. You've got this new album that comes out. And then for this new album, you actually taught yourself engineering and took classes to do this. Mm-hmm. I yeah. did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. It's uh you know, honestly, it's something I've always wanted to do, but I will say this uh, relentless touring that has existed in my life for over a decade is the reason why I never did it before. Because 
you need time. Yeah. And you need to be kind of in one place with what you're working with. And I haven't had that. <laughs> yeah. And that is the true blessing in, because the timeline is sort of, okay, I get pregnant, I decide to take a break from the road, and then pandemic hits, so then there's an even longer break. But I, man, I needed this break more than I knew. And I knew I needed the break. But holy crow, I mean, the way that your identity can get wrapped up in tour dates and being on the road, I was not focusing on what I needed to focus on, which is stuff like this where you learn a brand new skill and you do something you never did before instead of just doing the same thing over and over again, you know, which is, isn't that the definition of insanity <laughs> or something <laughs> like that? Um, yeah, repeating you know, the same just, action, expecting different results. Yes, exactly, which is kind of what you do when you're relentlessly touring. It's like, yes. you're going to go do this, and then you're going to make another record, and you're probably going to do it the exact same way. And this this just was a time of expansion of skills and also of um, just content and what I was going to write about and just me as a person. So when that happens, you just get a different kind of record. And, I mean, how boring is it if life things aren't going to happen because – then you're just going to keep writing about what? Like <laughs> the lines on the highway? I mean, we don't need any more songs like that. <laughs> no. And I've always talked about that. You know, uh, with with other songwriters, um, songwriting is the most torturous thing I've ever done in my entire life. I hate and love the process completely um, because it, it – it, for me, it doesn't flow naturally. My sis- I have a very, very gifted songwriter sister, and even she – has moments where it's difficult, but when she's on, she makes it look effortless. It has never been effortless for me. (laughs) It's always been this terrible, terrible process. But I talk about, there's the stereotype of the sophomore slump with, with artists, you know, that second album is, is sometimes not very good at all. I was like, and I tell them, well, think about it. They had their entire life to write Mm -hmm. that first Mm -hmm. album. And, you know, that's their life experience. And that second album They've been on the road. That's that's what they've done. They've promoted and toured and played this album. They've played music over and over again. The second album, sometimes the well's a little dry for that one. <laughs> Writing songs about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the lines on the highway kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And so you get that chance to pause, and suddenly you have a chance to reflect and really kind of hunker in. And and that was something I noticed listening to your, your previous albums and this album, is that this album gets really, really – not that the others aren't, obviously, because if you write something, it's you. But this one's really personal. This one's really mm-hmm. reflective. Um, it's true. It's true. And that that also is just out of – like this is not the record I planned to make as my third record. I have a whole other record of like super rock and roll riff rock songs that – are ready and waiting. And that's the one had some producers floating around was going to do that whole thing with the third record. And I was figuring out pretty quickly as time was rolling on. Um, obviously I, I, when I had, you know, I had all these plans, I'm going to have my baby and then I'm going (laughs) to take some months off and then we're going to get back into it. Maybe we'll go in the studio and record the record, you know, with so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. But obviously that wasn't going to happen. And so, but what happened instead is something that um, I didn't expect. I I didn't expect to produce and engineer this. I didn't expect to have these songs written. But the stuff I was going through was making me write in a certain way. And I wasn't going to stop it. I was just going to let it happen and sort of follow the path that was in front of me. Um, Cause I could have said like, no, 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 this is my, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, do these things yet or like produce my own record yet. Cause I still haven't had that like, you know, label supported kind of release on, on my work that can really get you to a sort of next level, which will come in my career, but it just hasn't happened yet. I haven't found the right people, but it's like, I still am, I feel like I'm defining myself as an artist. But at the same time, I 
then got into the mind the mindset of screw all of that stuff i'm oh you can't make records by thinking about like this all you know this song all of these songs and all of these notes and all of these sounds define me as an artist and i have to identify in every single thing it's like no i'm gonna make 25 records in my career probably i don't know who knows what the number will be but it's gonna be a lot and this is just a part this is just a piece in time and it has to be captured and i can't just that like preciousness of of all of the the way you can hang everything on a sound or on a song or on a record it's like that just doesn't exist for me anymore i oh i'm i'm a lifer i've always been a lifer and i'm not going to just sort of think about the next the next only the next little record and i think that is what allowed me to make this record is yeah. the idea of uh it's not everything my whole life is not gonna be changed by this record and and it's just a thing and then i'll move on yeah (laughs) it's kind of like life lessons all wrapped up in here you know (laughs) yeah and it it's one of those i've talked to i've I've had other artists on the show and talk about making records and they're very much this is a snapshot of where we where i am right now this is what's going on and then you get that down and then you kind of keep going um Mm-hmm. What, it, what I'm trying to remember who it was I was talking to that that was talking about this, and they were like, by the time the album is written and then fleshed out and recorded, and you've recorded all the parts and you've listened to all your songs a million times um, as you're in that editing process and everything else, by the time it's out, you're going on at this point. You're into the next thing. Like your life is, you've snapshotted that now. And it's time to go. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm moving on. It's almost like uh, to the artist, the album's been out for years at this point, it feels like, because you're so well, used to it. I tell you what, I have never had a record come out earlier than a year after when it's recorded. Oh, or wow. like I have the master in my hands. It's always it's always close to a year later. So, yeah, you are moving on. You've written other songs you're excited about, you know, and you just... That's that's the beauty of this. It just keeps moving forward, and you can't stop it. I mean, you can stop it, and then I think you don't make good art if you stop it. But you can't. You got. You can't stop the train. Yeah, and and that's the other thing too. You had these songs coming. You were in this place. You were in this mindset. If you tried to force the other thing that you felt like should have been the thing you're working on, it it's it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. And it's going to. No. You, you need to be where your mind is. Sometimes you can't make your heart and your mind go in this other direction. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob. At least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough. And that's where String Joy Strings come in. They're better than good enough. They're the best. Stranger are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balanced tension, coded strings, the works. If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy Strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings, I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy Strings today. Absolutely. I mean, I was I was really given the tools and the resources in the moment and also um, just kind of decided to to believe in my to trust my ears and trust my instincts with all of this. When you make records your whole life and you're doing it the right way, you're just a sponge listening to all the people around you. So I'm I'm at a place where I can take all of that information and then kind of funnel it down to to recording something myself, which I have done. And and it didn't fail, and that's really exciting and I'm really proud of the sounds, you know. But I also knew I was smart enough to know that these are this is a body of work that I can do in my setting. This rock and roll riff rock thing that I'm going to do next, I can't do in my setting. I need to go to a great studio to do it. Or maybe a, maybe a shitty studio. I don't know. But <laughs> just just got to like, be loud. You need a space yeah, to be loud. Yeah, it's going to be a different kind of thing. And um, so I knew that the the production that the songs were calling for was something that I could do. 
at home and really kind of dig into the soundscaped layered kind of guitar world that I wanted to place around a lot of these songs, which um, to me makes it like it's it's a guitar record for me because well, first of all, this is the first record I've played every all of the guitar on it. You you know, sometimes there's a producer will play stuff or whatever it is, but um but it's not your typical guitar record, you know? I mean, I'm not the typical guitar player where I'm sitting around flashy blues flashing blues riffs all the time. I don't do any of right. that. I actually like don't even like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of it's just like, okay, cool. Like I don't even I don't even really do that. I mean, I can I have like a couple go-to little riffs I do or something whatever, but it's like, nah, this doesn't interest me. I'd rather just kind of create some weird sounds, you know. Um but it, yeah, it's a it's it was nice to be able to know, to go through the process and then create these little little song worlds for the songs and um I'm really proud of it, yeah. Yeah, so we talked a little bit uh, earlier, and you're talking about all the guitar. There's, there is. There's a lot of guitar on this album, and it's layered very, uh, very thoughtfully. And it's, it's a really lush sounding record with, with the multiple guitar parts. And, and you're right. There's not a ton of you know, uh, flashing the fastest you know pentatonic blues lick you can possibly come. But it's, if you want an album that has guitar, it's. It's 33 some odd minutes of a lot of yeah. guitar. And yeah. And, and also, sorry to cut you off, but no, it's like fine. the world of guitar playing um, needs more guitar records like this just because, you know, perfect example. I'm not going to call anybody, anybody out, but I don't even remember the dude's name. But like when my publicist was putting this album forth and you and doing pitches and she's like talking to a bunch of guitar magazines and things and this one guy was like guitar record i don't hear any guitar am i missing something i'm like there you go here is the perfect example of why players like me and and whoever is doing this whether it's women or, or dudes or whoever it is like this is the kind of stuff that needs more attention because guitar doesn't have to just be that one little box. Right. But that's usually the coverage that gets that that's the stuff that gets the coverage and until we kind of break it open just a little bit, you know. It's like, yeah, this is this is guitar too and this is really exciting and and is interesting, you know. Um and sure, like, and and I play guitar like this, but like, like you said, like I went on tour with Buddy Guy, you know, right? Played well, a blues song in my set because <laughs> the agent was like, "You probably should." I'm like, "I know." <laughs> and, and as as a self professed blues guy, I'm from Clarksdale, Mississippi. It's in my blood. There's oh, nothing yeah, I can nice. do about it. Yeah. Um, there's a place for that music, and and I've played yeah. a, a whole lot of that music over the last twenty years. You know, I used to be the audio engineer and uh, assistant manager for Ground Zero Blues Club in Clarksdale, Mississippi. It's like I've seen, played, toured a lot of blues music. I say tour weekend runs. No, I'm not. I'm not built for national <laughs> tours. Please give me my own bed as often as possible. Um, but there's also a place for just thinking about the instrument as an instrument um, and not just thinking, Oh, this is guitar. This is uh, guitar is not, you know, strat into a cranked fender amp with a tube screamer making that sound. Sorry, all you Stevie Ray Vaughan fans. I too am a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan, but that is not the be all end all <sighs> of guitar tone. No, no, it's it is like, not. Please open your mind up. And you, you talked about something earlier too, that probably plays into some of these guitar journalist brains. And if you are a guitar journalist and you are listening to this podcast and I am about to insult you, I'm sorry. You probably are not the person I'm talking about. So don't be too offended, but they get an album that's not full of a bunch of blues solos by a female artist and guitarist. 
it's almost like you've got to do that to be acknowledged as a guitar player. Um, and, and that's oh no God, slight to a, someone you're like... You're absolutely right. Yeah, and, and that's no slight to someone like Susan Tedeschi or Bonnie Raitt or Allie Venables or, you know, any of these very, very talented, um, incredibly um, hardworking female blues guitarists. But Blake Mills can go out and record an album like he has recorded where there aren't any of these ripping guitar solos and everyone's instantly like, oh, it's a guitar album. And, you know, a female <laughs> artist puts it out there and it's not. Oh, thank and, you for saying all of this. Yeah, You're it's infuriating. Just, it's, it's, it is. And so it's almost like you have to be that in order for your album to be called a guitar album. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and anyone who's willing to listen to it with some open ears will hear, um, there, there's, you're not going to pull up this album. There's a bunch of 808 and synthesizers on here. This is, this is guitar uh, mm-hmm. and, and introspection and great songwriting, which has always been the draw for me. You know, growing up as a guitar player, they, people would ask you that question. Oh, who's your favorite guitar player? I fucking hate that question. Um, mm. I hate it because it, there, I have a lot of guitar players I love, but I have always loved songwriters more than I ever loved guitar players. And I want to hear great songs before I want to hear a 10 minute guitar solo. If the two things aren't going together, it's just not worthwhile. Yeah. That's why my favorite guitar players, they're not guitar players in that typical sense of, you know, that you'd see in, in blues guitar magazine, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I, I love the Rykooters and the, the Derek oh, trucks yeah. of the world. And, and I don't know why I just started naming slide guitar players, but uh, I, I love those players, but I also love, um, Oh, and I can't think of his name right now. And I really hate that. I can't, but, uh, there's the guy that played guitar for Edwin McCain all through the nineties and two thousands. Mm. And while he was a ripping guitar player, he also had to lay back and play these textures and play rhythms. And he was a, a monster player. And so right. like I, when I wanted to be a guitar player, he's who I wanted to be. Not yeah, you're still serving the song, which right. is what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, perfect example. I mean, not perfect. Just a, just an example. The other week, um, I was doing a session in town, and I hadn't done a hired guitar session before, like in a while. It's been a minute, and. I was, uh, I got a little nervous just because I hadn't done it in so long. But honestly, like, I didn't even play any solos. I was just, (laughs) there was no room for it. I'm just like, textures and colors and big chords and like, what, what's the tone like? And is this kind of what we're doing? And just, that's what it was more about, you know, Mm -hmm. than, than any like flashy guitar stuff. There's no flashy guitar stuff. So doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be that everybody <laughs> and if we're we're honest most music isn't flashy guitar stuff no most music not. isn't but but so yeah so the point of all this is that most um people that are into these guitar players in quotation yes. marks think it is just in that box and here here I am, and there are so many other women too that are that are here to just break it open. It's exciting. No, it's very I know exciting. So many of them that are, you know. Yeah, and it it's growing. Um, obviously, we're seeing a lot more uh, female guitar players out there doing doing what they're doing. I I go back to my sister a lot of times. My sister, like I said, is an incredible songwriter, incredible guitar player, uh, and she can she can rip solos all she wants to. But most of the songs she writes. They don't need guitar solos when she gets ready to record them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make her... She's still one of the best guitarists I've ever known in my entire life. She's oh, just that's incredible. So cool. um, I love that. And so, you know, I, I've had guitar students and and others in the industry. I, I played guitar for a very, very meager living for just a few years and then realized that I the tour life isn't for me, so I was like, I'm, this is going to be what I'd like to do, and I'm going to have to find something else to make ends meet. Um, but I tell them all the time, they they taking lessons with me, like, oh, I want to be like, or I want to have this band, or especially those that tell me I want to be a session guitar player. I'm like, well, then you better get really, really good at rhythm guitar. 
get mm. really, really good at, you know, core, different chord voicings. Oh, like if you think people are going to hire you just to come in and play Van Halen solos on records, that's, that's not what's going to get it there for you. And so there you go. There you so go. let's let's go back. We're going to talk about uh, talk about the album a little bit. So you did this all from home. Didn't go to didn't go to a major studio. I I think I read you actually purpose bought all the equipment to to do this record at home yourself. I uh, did. Yeah. There's the drums were recorded at a studio because okay. I didn't have space. Sure. Um, but that's that's a fun story too. And the <laughs> the bass player recorded his tracks from his home. But everything else, like every single guitar you hear. Everything else, every vocal, every everything is uh, from my tiny laundry room in the house I used to live in. Yeah. that's See, that's awesome story. So do you feel like, and so I've talked to a few guests about this, about the what the, one of those things the pandemic has sort of, we'd already seen a direction in this, but the pandemic sort of caused us to even more so. There's so much more of that, okay, I record this part here. I'm going to send it over to this guitar player that has their studio. So for example, people can send you tracks. You can sure. record the guitars yeah. there, send it over to a bass player that, hey, we don't have to come to a collective space anymore. Um, and having done both at this point, do you think we'll start to see even more of that approach? Do you think people are going to be like, let's get back in the studio, let's get back in person? I think, I really do think that it's going to be, it's going to just be what the record calls for. Um, because, you know, there's so many records, so many different records being made in so many different ways and with so many different budgets and you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. So if that means so-and-so doesn't live here and you can't get him in the room when you're doing your stuff, but you still want him on the track, him or her, you -hmm. just make it happen and that's fine. But some music calls for people to be in the same room, you know? So I, I, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I also think that, um, as, I, as much as I love the fact that I was able to do this at home and that it's accessible and the tools are here for me to do this, that doesn't mean, and this isn't <laughs> like deter people from doing this, yeah. but like, sure, anyone can make a record in their laundry room. But not everybody can make a record in their laundry room. Like, just because it's, it's it's accessible to people to like, oh, yeah, let's make a record at home. It's like, no, it's not just that, you know. Um, but and I, I don't mean that to sound like an asshole. But, like, it's just people say that these days. It's like, there's so much music. Everybody can record at home. It's like, yeah, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's good or worth it. It doesn't mean you, you should. Know? And it doesn't mean you should. So, but also I think it's, I think it's so important. Like when I work with artists and I'm producing records for them, I think the best thing, if they haven't ever demoed their songs at home by themselves and like just kind of tried to discover like different, them playing different parts or like what would go here and what would go there for them to spend time developing a vision of their own. I think it's so great for them to do that. And that maybe gets them really excited about creating their own sounds, which then, which I think is so important. We just need so many more women behind the board doing stuff. I mean, let's do it if we can do it, you know, and we have good ears. So, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. And and that's another interesting, interesting uh, avenue to go down is the, the female engineers and the female uh, studio musicians. And obviously Everyone knows about Carol Kay at this point. You know, everybody's heard her story, and you should. You, if, you, if you've not heard her story, please pause this. You can come back later. Go find out who Carol Kay is. But, you know, I watched the um, the documentary that, uh, that Dave Grohl did on Sound City. Um, and Sound City was the studio that... Um, Fleetwood Mac first recorded in. It's where, you know, Nirvana went and recorded and later Queens of the Stone Age with Dave Grohl. Actually, the reason he did the documentary is because he bought the console that they had had in Sound City Studio when they shut down to put in his personal studio. And, of course, they're back up and running. Um, 
But what I learned in that documentary was the role of the women who assisted in that studio while maybe not necessarily being engineers. They were the, the, the studio saw its best time uh, with a uh, woman owning and operating it and running it. And you're seeing it more and more. And the more we get into it, we're seeing them fill this role. And I'm hoping that it's going to be a little backwards looking. And we see all the times that women have pioneered things in the music industry and been kind of unsung in that role. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really, really, for example, I'm going to go down my, my blues rabbit hole. I'm really sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> but how finally, uh, artists like sister Rosetta Tharp, uh, Sharp, Tharp, oh my gosh, brain is fun. But That's sister okay. Rosetta is getting the attention she is due in honestly, the influence on she had on rock and roll. I mean, she is the grandmother of rock and roll. I know it's and and. I've been a fan for a long, long time because I'm a blues guy in general. And, but it's people are starting to realize who she was and how important the things she did were. And, and being a blues uh, musicologist myself, I wanted to, originally I was going to go to school for musicology, but then, you know, school. Um, tired of it. Uh, blues, the earliest blues, the earliest popular blues was not some guy with an acoustic guitar singing songs about the train. It was female blues singers in vaudeville acts singing their asses off to to basically anyone who hear it. But um, they pioneered the genre. Then you've got guitarists like Sister Rosetta pioneering the genre. And now we've got, we've got so many amazing female guitarists out there now that it, it, really I don't have a point in this rambling except that I'm really excited to see things starting to shift. <laughs> A little bit because I watched my sister go through um, multiple opportunities at major record deals. And I watched every time them try to either take the guitar out of her hands or them try to change her songwriting or them trying to change her image and who she was. That's why she why she walked away every time. And, you know, good for her. Yeah, and there's there's so much of that out there to see um, artists like yourself and, and the ones I referenced earlier, like Lucinda Williams, or another one that I love is Alison Moore. I'm a huge Alison Moore fan. Um, seeing some of these artists who are songwriters uh, taking some control of their careers and seeing it really become something. You, you had a quote, and, and I'm, this is me getting finally to a point. You you had a quote that I read in on your website where you talked about. Um, I wish I, I'm not going to quote it verbatim. I was about to try, um, but essentially, men with half as much skill will happily pro- proclaim themselves. I think you were specifically talking about an engineer. Um, oh, whereas, I was talking about really anything, it, but exactly. I was it was yeah. specific to the yeah. Yeah. music. Whereas, and, a, whereas sure. a woman has to be overqualified at something before they can be called that. and Well, more so before they'll call themselves yes. that, which yes. is just in our nature. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and it shouldn't be, but, you know, having seen that with, again, my sister, how she had to get to this point before she gets any credibility at something. And so it's not just in your nature, it's, it's in human yes. nature a little bit. Um, it's in the industry for sure. Big time in the industry, and it. I spent spent two years at MTSU uh, studying recording industry, um, recording industry management, and it was it was a fascinating time getting into the seeing the backside of the music industry, uh, seeing the the studio side for the first real time. It did not take me long to know I did not want to work in studios. Um, that is that is not my engineering is not my thing. It's mostly dealing with other people that I'm not great at. I'm kind of a, a misanthrope at heart. But um, I don't know. I, I'm rambling, which is a thing I do. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really have a great point other than it's frustrating. It's, it is a really, really awful world out there in the music industry. Um, there are – you can make – man, I mean – it's such a weird thing. I mean, here I am putting out my, this is a perfect example. I'm 
putting up my third record. I've done this my whole life. Um, toured with, you know, all of these yeah. accolades and blah, 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 blah. But do I have an agent or a manager? The answer is no, I do not. Mm. Um, why? That's a good question. Yeah. I ask myself. That's a great that question. Um, I could have a bad one right now. Um, you know, there's so many bad ones and I've made the choice to, um, to, to have none instead of a bad one until I find the right one. Cause it's really like you said earlier about people, they see you a certain way and they want to mold and shape and this and that. And I'm all about giving up some control of things. Let me tell you, gosh, (laughs) I would love to do that. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's a really cruel world. The priorities are all wrong. Um, people care about the vanity metrics of Spotify, which really is no, is means nothing. Nothing, um, absolutely nothing. It does the the number of monthly listeners um, means nothing because great, you're on ten playlists and nobody ever looks when they, that song comes by. Like those people aren't real fans. Whereas if you were to look on my Spotify right now, it says 1,200 monthly listeners. Well, that's actually 1,200 people right. listening. Because I'm not on one goddamn playlist right now. Well, and, and, you know, it's like that's kind of frustrating. But also, I don't have the big label distributor pushing pushing the pitches out there. You know, well, even with great press and great everything else, it's like it just it's a weird thing. And and the industry looks at like, oh, well, you only have twelve hundred listeners. You know, let's look at that Spotify thing because the spot that Spotify metric, um, that just may as well not exist because so for for those for listeners that maybe not aren't aware of a practice that was known as payola, um hit songs in the early days of radio and in the not so early days of radio, basically until MP3s and streaming gutted radio, radio still big. Like, don't get me wrong, but, um, there used to be this practice in which record labels would pay DJs to play songs. They would literally build hits with money. They would simply, if you've ever listened to a song and you're like, I can't believe this song was ever popular. It's probably because it was bought enough on the radio that people got used to hearing it that they felt like it was a hit. You can create a hit with repetition. And that is what a ton of these record labels did. They built hits with money and repetition because they were sinking so much money into some of these artists trying to build something. Well, and that's not that some of these artists that got big that way didn't, you know, didn't have talent or weren't good or the music wasn't good. But that was a practice that was very popular in order to build a number one hit was to pay radio stations to play it. Spotify works the same fucking way. People pay to be on these big Spotify playlists that generate monthly listeners, that generate listens to a song, that listen that generate all those vanity metrics that we hear. And well, more specifically, it's not that they're paying to be on the playlist specifically, but they are paying for a playlister or maybe it's someone designated within the label who, I mean, $1,500 per single to playlist. That is a real thing. And that is something that we're told we are supposed to spend on a song. I mean, it, it's the same exact way. If you're hearing a song on the radio, on any sort of commercial radio, that has been paid for to be there and promoted. Maybe not paid, like, here's some money to the DJ. Right. But you're paying for a promoter to then get that song played by these people. So radio promotion, Spotify promotion, publicity to be in whatever magazines you 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 read. I mean, that is a big big number even when you're an independent artist that number is huge and you can really rarely do all of those things unless you have rich parents <laughs> or or a trust fund or exactly yeah, like it, and that's i mean that's we actually see that happen a lot to be honest uh, yeah. um but it's 
you are if you are hearing about someone out there and and man fingers crossed this happens for my next record yeah where i'm like great i have this massive budget to use uh to to be put in all of the places um it's all it takes is money man that's so depressing it's incredible it's it's incredibly depressing and you it's one where we got all this technology, all this access to music. Uh, we killed record sales, um, literally destroyed them. Um, gone, gone. Gonzo. You can't, you can't even talk about record sales anymore. Now it's how many streams count as a purchase of an album? It's it's an absurd number, by the way. It's a completely absurd number. Listener, I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's a ridiculous number of streams in order to count as a record sold. Um. But we thought all this access would make it better for artists, and it's completely destroyed it. And it's made the situation worse. It's made it that much harder to, yes, everyone can record an album in their laundry room. (laughs) Yes, everyone can get it put out on Spotify. Now, how do you get it seen? Uh, And it comes back to what I said when we opened. I'm upset at myself that I had not heard your music before because I'm officially a huge fan. So in fact, it was, it was funny. I was listening to it prepping for this episode and uh, my wife was wandering the house doing some other things while I'm listening. And she said, I don't know what you're listening to, but that is catchy as hell. And it's like, she had wandered, she was wandering around humming the melody. She was too far away to hear the words, but she was like caught herself just humming the melody as she was walking around the house. I was like, yep. That's I see, that. that's great music. If if you don't even know the words and you can't get it out of your head, you I know. I love that. I love so, that. And and you know, to answer your question, like how how do we even do this? Yeah. What what you do is you just keep doing it, and you get better, and you focus on the things that matter. So, for me, putting out Falcon, having a meager, um, just a small you know, marketing budget to work with, which isn't even, honestly, it wasn't even small compared to what I've worked with before. You just, the art will speak for itself over time. And I really do think that there's that, it's like, if you build it, they will come thing, man. I just, I'm not going to stop believing in that. Um, And I'm not going to dumb down a goddamn thing for anybody. (laughs) Absolutely. And shouldn't. Because that's where the best music is. And I think that's yeah. the music that lasts the longest, is the music that just DGAF and uh, just moves on and keeps going. And you didn't try to tailor into something. You didn't try to fit a genre. You didn't try to fit radio playability. You didn't try to fit, fit oh, well, I, I need to, you know, my songs all need to be this length and I need to have this many songs on an album because the radio will play it or, oh, that's the style my label only puts out or... It's those that music that just gets to be real, that that lasts longer. Look at look at even some of the greatest music of all time. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose a super boomer out band. Let me pick a super. Like look at your Led Zeppelins, right? They their albums, the ones that have lasted, the ones that people still reference, were that. Because they were just them. They were just honest. They played the music they played, and they did what they did. Up through four, if you're a fan of Houses of the Holy, uh, you're fine. fine. Be, a, be a fan of it. I'm not going to shame anybody for their music, but you should probably seek professional help. Um, <laughs> we're not a Led Zeppelin house here, so. Yeah, exactly. Now, I well, like. And, and here, and okay, so just to sort of, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to say. Here is the perfect example of the industry we live in right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Led Zeppelin, biggest one of the biggest rock and roll bands all of time. all time. Okay, so who gets the big record deal right now in rock and roll? A band that sounds exactly sounds like, like Led Zeppelin. And they're not even great no. at all. And it's like they're like little boys doing a thing, and this is embarrassing, and I'm embarrassed for them. And it's like, cool, one day you guys might be cool if you just... Like, what do you actually do? Yeah. You know, what? what is the stuff you guys do? And you're not trying to do this thing. And like, you know, and you got, whoever's listening, you know who I'm talking about. I don't even have to <laughs> name this band. Yeah. Because when you hear them on AAA radio, you're like, oh, is this a Led Zeppelin song? Like, what the hell? But I 
for some reason, my Instagram algorithm has put them in my <laughs> feed. And I'm like, and, and there's these clips of them playing live. And I'm like, I am so embarrassed for you. I'm so embarrassed. They're, they're a nostalgia rock band. They're absolutely, they're just. And, but this and, is what this is what the labels want to put their money behind. Something that's familiar, already know exactly what to do with them. Right. It's not risky at all. Well, that's because the labels are absolutely um, fighting for their lives right now. And it's, and it's not about putting out. It's true. Everybody. It's not, the major labels, it's yeah. not about putting out quality. I won't say quality because the the recordings if you listen to them they sound fine they sound great they, the quality of the recording is fine they're not worried about oh, sure. art Th- they're worried they're probably... about making money to stay in business and that's it yeah yeah and and I mean, because their record budget was probably like 60 grand 100 yeah. grand let's just say who knows probably oh, yeah. something like that go crazy whereas you, you look at and I use Zeppelin as an example because no one sounded like them at the time they weren't fitting into what was already out there in any way. They were that's why they were so wildly successful. But that's why you recreating look at that band we're talking about. Yeah, they're getting a ton of support, but look at how much pushback they're getting too. Well, and it's not gonna last. Because no, the people exactly. that are like like actual art artists and music people to be like yeah let's actually just listen to the band that they're trying to emulate here and that's the good stuff i mean who's gonna listen to that band's record in 40 years we're still gonna be listening to led zeppelin it's just like also i just don't understand how artists can do that like so blatantly just here's here's a here's what we are and here's what we do i mean I don't understand it. I've never done this for fame reasons or right. anything else, but this is just what I do and I have to do it. Yeah, um, you can't do anything else. So it's it's an odd... I don't understand that world. Um, but, you know, so be it. So, <laughs> so be, be it. it. It is what it is. And maybe and maybe when I get that big record deal for my fourth record, <laughs> I'll get like an offer to, to support their tour or something and I'll be like, no (laughs) (laughs) that'll be your chance be like no not happening not doing it but you know what i probably i don't know that's actually i don't know what i'd say i've you know i've had a similar conversation when i used to give lessons uh, which i don't anymore because just ran into too many eight-year-olds with attitudes um but i had students uh, and i'd run into guitar players especially older teens and and early 20s um who they would talk about their ideals and art and music, and, and I'm all for it. I'm all for it. The music you create should be you, should be art. But then we also talked about the whole making a living as a guitarist. And I, my favorite conundrum, sure. and you can, this question's obviously dated because I'm going to just use it exactly like I used to give them. Um, I said, so what you're telling me is that if NSYNC's road manager called you and said they're on tour, they need a guitar player. Would you go or would you not? And they're like, oh, absolutely not. I'd never, never fucking play for NSYNC. It's like, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a great gig. It's good money. You're going to see the world. You're going to see the inside of the music industry. You're going to see how major productions happen. You, if you're lucky, you may even get to play on a major record. Um, and then you get to go and your name's not attached to it. And you can do what you have, whatever you want to do. Absolutely. And I'm like, yeah, do it. Yeah, whatever whatever band equivalent that would be of now. Yeah, well, I would, abso- I, I I would absolutely say yes. I don't know who I don't know who it would be. Um, it would, but it's that kind of band who who he needs a band of yeah. hired people versus like a band band, of right. course. Um, yeah, I was trying to think of yeah. someone, and I was like Taylor Swift. No, I'd absolutely play for Taylor Swift, and that's for artist reasons. Oh, but that's just oh me. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's people all the time that I sing backups for on on records where I'm like this is not the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life but I also need to pay my mortgage that's exactly right what are you gonna do um we live in the times we live in I mean (laughs) when we're not making money off of our own records so what do you you just gotta you gotta figure it out but yeah yeah it's a when you're put in those situations I don't know I think you're just gonna make the calls where you can get some opportunity going you know yeah i think in those kinds of situations you you just have to sort of you're like all right this this was not ideal 
But there is a silver lining here to be had, and mm-hmm. going to find it and use it because uh, mm-hmm. it there's there's an opportunity even with that band that we're not saying the name of the band that shall not be named. Um, that I I think back and like in my head like I had this story. Um, uh, another band, Hanson, the band of the Umbop, as you will all recall. Um, that it just popped in your head right now. You were singing nonsense lyrics in your head because that song was every fucking where. Um, that band, those those guys, grew up and became very talented musicians. They were not when they were in that band and the popularity that age. They were not. Mm-hmm. They were it at that point that you were listening to the product of a marketing machine. Mm-hmm. That's what you yeah. listened to then. They all grew up, kept playing music, and became very good and very talented, but they will never escape that thing that they were in that marketing machine. Yeah, man. That's also... That's a thing. I mean, if I'm I'm glad that <laughs> that I never had that sort of opportunity as a young person cuz now I can when bigger opportunities come my way, it's going to be like you for whatever artist you are, if you've never if you never had that like big break when you're at 19. God. Ugh. Yeah, how I, awful. I do I would not want to be stuck with the ramifications of 19-year-old me as 40-year-old yeah. me. It's really unfortunate cuz those guys can't be they'll, they'll never be taken seriously most likely. Yeah. Um that band they take a whole you know, lot. Um both of both of these bands we're talking about and it's uh yeah, it's a weird thing or even just having a hit earlier early in your career or something and then you go and do a different thing. I don't know. Just stylistically, yeah. It's um but also, I don't know. Then, I don't know. Who knows, man? Because <laughs> yeah. you probably would be set for the rest of your life. But but then you wouldn't be set because you'd always be thinking like, ah, I just can't make the music I want to make. Yeah. So that's what I think about when I think back to, well, I still sort of somewhat have to, you know, hustle to, to figure out how I'm going to do these things musically. But I get to do it however I want to. And be taken really really seriously and it's awesome and i'm super fulfilled by it and i'm excited to keep expanding you know yeah no that's awesome and um and that so as we as we wrap up the regular episode here just to talk about as we sort of put an exclamation on that point is that you do get to make this really incredible music that listeners you absolutely need to go check out it's it's available on spotify um, so Brandy, where can they find all of your music? Uh, I'm sure besides Spotify, you have a website. Yeah. Yeah. It's all up. It's all up there on my website as well as Bandcamp. You can get it from both of those things. All, it all goes to me. Yeah. Bandcamp is the greatest place to, uh, purchase music from musicians. Yeah. I'm going to recommend listeners to go over to Bandcamp because, uh, Spotify is great for finding artists, but if you actually give a shit about the art they're making, go over to, if they're on Bandcamp, go over there, buy some music, spend some real money, um, instead of the point zero 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 one cent they get for a play on spot, whatever it actually is now, I don't know anymore, it's not, it's not a number worth calculating, to be honest, uh, it's such a low, I, I, I saw it recently, and it was an absurd number to get to, um, is in the thousands to get to what a an album would have sold for, you know, ten years ago. Mm. It's a depressing number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Dep- go, go over to Bandcamp. Uh, check out the uh, links in the description box below. If you're on YouTube, it's directly below this video. If you are listening to us in a player, you'll have to go to the episode in the show notes. Uh, you'll find the links for Brandy's website. For her Bandcamp, you'll find the links for her Instagram as well. Make sure you follow her on Instagram. Um, and uh, go check it out. I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. Um, for uh, We're about to sign off here, but we're going to talk a little bit more on our Patreon episode where we're going to talk super nerdy about guitar gear because we're going to talk about guitars and amps and effects. And I want to hear 
I want to know where some of these sounds on the record came from and what they are. First of all, Harmony Rocket. What a freaking cool guitar to still have. I'm a big fan of those those old harmonies. If you can find a good one, because there's a whole lot of bad ones out there. Um, I think Fanny's just posted a video, a picture of a harmony on their Instagram today as we're recording it. They've got one over there. So, um, anyway, well, Brandy, thank you for being on the on the episode here. And uh, thank you so much. Ah, it's been such a fun, such a blast. Well, listeners, we will catch you on for Patreons. I'll catch you on the next episode uh, in the Patreon content. For the rest of you, I'll catch you next week. In the meantime, be good to yourselves, be kind to each other, and try to make some noise. This episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad-free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free, as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons, and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road.